everyone, this is your host, Akil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SaaS District. In today's episode, we'll be talking about everything you need to know about SaaS data privacy. Today, we have our guest, Thomas McNamara, joining us. Thomas is the founder and senior consultant at Apex Privacy, a straight-talking GDPR compliance firm that crafts bespoke data protection programs for your business and specializes in helping SaaS companies get GDPR compliant. Thomas is an experienced data protection officer and legal compliance consultant specializing in IT, finance, and health. He has a proven track record in delivering business-centric legal compliance initiatives across Europe, Asia, and the U.S., making him an international expert with extensive experience in the international transfer of data. He acts as a data protection officer for SaaS, healthcare and IT's companies spanning Ireland, U.S., U.K., Switzerland, and Australia. His experience includes working on global regulatory compliance projects for the likes of J.P. Morgan and the Citibank, as well as AIB within Ireland. Tom is also the host of the Data Privacy Podcast, where they explore the best privacy methodology and practices within leading businesses. So welcome, Thomas. Super excited to have you on our show today. Cheers, Akil. Thanks very much for that intro. I think it's the best intro I've ever got. <laughs> <laughs> I hear that a lot. Um, so for those of who don't know your background, uh, can you just share a little bit about your background, what your past ventures were, and what was the idea and problem you're looking to solve when you launched your consultancy firm, Apex uh, Privacy? Sure. So I suppose like way back when in 2005, I studied law in Ireland here. And in 2008, obviously the world was melting down in terms of the financial crisis. And I think I got the last loan out of Ireland to go to Australia to do my master's in international law. And I spent a couple of years there before I came back to Europe. Um, And I started working in London. Mm -hmm. Um, But obviously it was the middle of the financial crisis. It was like 2010, things were getting a little bit better and not many places were hiring. So I got in contact with a woman who turned out to be a mentor, a real like guiding light in my career so far. And she brought me down the road of compliance because at the time there was um, a big gap in the market of like skilled compliance officers. So if people aren't too sure what a compliance officer does, compliance officer really works between the legal department and between the business. So obviously you'll have two departments within a business, let's say, and legal will want everything done, zero risk, as the letter of the law says, whereas the business probably has other thoughts. They have innovative products that they want to push. They have like things that they want to test. And in in financial services specifically, that's where I came from, but now we're starting to see it in tech. What sits in the middle there is a compliance officer, someone who can talk to legal and talk to the business and try and find that happy medium between a risk appetite, but also compliance with laws without exposing the business. Mm. So that's really where I got my start. And I worked in London for a long time in financial services before returning home and working with the likes of JP Morgan, as you mentioned, uh, on some global projects, as well as Citibank and the likes. But I founded Apex Privacy two years ago, Well, 2018, so it's coming on three years ago. And um, the idea behind that was there's a real gap in the market, I guess, of qualified data protection officers. Because since the GDPR came in, it's just been such a hot topic. And there really isn't enough people out there with the experience of reading, interpreting laws and applying them to businesses. 
And also, I guess one of the aspects that I saw uh, that really motivated me to found Apex was the idea that compliance was going to move out of the field of pharmaceutical, move out of the field of financial, out of um, healthcare and the likes of that, and really become an issue for tech companies, which previously hadn't been regulated. And I always had like an interest in startups and technology and the likes of that. So I thought I saw it as my opportunity. So from there, we've been offering and a kind of based on a SaaS model, we offer a data protection officer as a service to to multiple companies. And Very that cool. means that companies that aren't ready really to, to employ a full-time chief data protection officer or mm. privacy officer can get our skills, my skills and my team skills um, to oversee their program, to help them get one in place and the likes of that. Um, for obviously a fraction of the cost and without having to go and look for a hire and then run the risk and the costs and all that associated with uh, upskilling and training somebody. So uh, yeah, that's kind of, that's where I'm coming from. Makes sense. And I'm assuming home is Ireland for you and, and what's the size of your team right now? Yes, yeah, so home is Ireland. We're nice. war based in Dublin until mm. COVID hit, mm. and so we're kind of more dispersed now. Uh, we have like four people on the team to begin with. Um, there's myself. We have a junior data protection officer, and then an analyst, uh, backed up by a project manager. So our in-house project manager works with our clients' project management team to make sure that everything runs on track and smoothly. I think it's an aspect that's often missed. Uh, when trying to roll out these compliance programs is the fact that it is a program that needs to happen over a longer period of time. It's mm. not just a suite of documents or policies that are going to that are gonna make you compliant in a week or a month or however. Sure. Yeah, makes sense. So from my understanding, uh, I understand personal data is protected under the, the GDPR. Um, but for those people who don't understand, what constitutes personal data specifically? And can you give an example and, and why is this important for people to, to pay attention to? Yes, yeah, so personal data is very much data that's a bit able to identify an individual or it's relating to an individual. So it doesn't cover like company data, it doesn't cover uh, data that, that that's not related to a person. So all these regulations, the GDPR, are very much based on the on the individual's rights and protecting their data. Uh, so, for example, you've got the very basic stuff. You've got like bank account details, names, address, date of birth. They're your standard personal data. And then you've got what's called special categories of personal data. And that includes health-related data, data related to uh, political opinions, your sexual orientation. And you can obviously see why that type of data would be giving given a special status, obviously that's the type of data that if it was disclosed could have potentially harm to the individual. So as we see, personal data is really about you, about you as a person. So the reason it needs to be protected is because like everybody has this right to privacy. You should be, have the right to disclose your data as you wish. And that's, that data should only be used as you've given your permission for it to be used. Makes sense. Um, and then, you know, is that the same for, for B2B SaaS as well, or is that a little different? 
Um, well, so B2B SaaS are usually processing data on behalf of their clients. So mm. while the data wouldn't originate within the business, they're known as data processors when you're working in that B2B capacity. Makes and sense. there is, you've got the st- same responsibilities in terms of protecting the data and only using it for specific reasons. But I guess ultimately your client in that B2B situation would have the higher level of responsibility. But mm. that's why they contract with you and you've got those big data processing agreements and contracts that um, assign liability and the likes when you are dealing with a with a with a client in a b2b relationship yeah so you know a lot of our, our audience and and people who listen to our show a SaaS district are SaaS founders or probably marketers or involved in the SaaS space at what point should a SaaS founder really look at look I need to build uh, start thinking about creating a GDPR compliance program? Is this right at the beginning and uh, as soon as I launch or is this kind of later stage? And and why do you think, why is it important to have that data protection in, in a SaaS business? Yeah, so I think it's super important from the outset that at the very minimum, the founders know kind of what they have to do, what are the general principles in the area. Now, they don't have to be like experts, but there's a ton of resources out there from regulators that kind of point you in the right direction. So in the UK, you've got the Information Commissioner's Office or the ICO. In Ireland, you've got the DPC. And there's one in each country across Europe. Mm. And they've got really good information out there. So I think it's really important that founders at least educate themselves on what's required from the outset. Then launching a SaaS business, so specifically launching a B2B SaaS business, you won't get in the door with clients unless you've got a strong program and more so as you move up the chain. So when you're looking at enterprise clients, they'll really want to pick apart your data protection, your data privacy program to ensure that they've got the minimum amount of risk when they're sharing their data with you. So I think it's super important. And as we mentioned before, SaaS is uh, is all about growth. And without that solid framework, it's going to be hard to attract clients, especially in the B2B SaaS space. Mm. So you've got some basic things like your data processing agreement is a contract that is required by data protection laws across Europe that between what we call the controller, which would be the SaaS company's client and the SaaS company, which is known as the processor, and it's called a data processing agreement. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have that legal document, then there's no way for them to send data to you. And obviously you can't deliver your service. Um, so it's kind of it's very core to a SaaS business to make sure that they've even got the foundations of a com- um, of a program before they start going looking for clients. Okay, maybe before they have an actual product and they have something to sell, you can put it off till then. Mm. But once you're actively in the market looking for clients, you need to have your documentation. You need to have your program in place to be able to put those clients at ease that you share data with us. There isn't going to be a breach on our end, which is going to drag your your company's brand through the through the mud. And, and who's so typically guess, like with an enterprise client like that where you're working with, and you, you're you're they're sharing a lot of confidential data. If you don't have your ducks in the row, so to speak, who is actually liable for that if some some breach happens? Is it the enterprise client or is it the SaaS company? Yes. So both can be responsible. 
if you've done everything that was required of you through the contract, then you'll be able to claim that you've got limited liability. Mm. If they, if the breach was just say human error, then it's unlikely that you'd be held responsible. But if the breach was due to a lack of security controls on your behalf, then you would be seen as as uh, liable for that breach. So it kind of really depends if you've been doing everything that's required of you in the business, mm. then, the, then the client would have no avenue to say, okay, we're suing you or we're invoking this agreement, which, uh, which puts the liability on you. But ultimately the responsibility lies with, with the client because they're seen as, as I mentioned, the controller of the data. So mm. they, they've taken the data from the individual and the individual might know about the SaaS company operating in the background. Yeah. Um, but while the controller is the first, like has the first line of liability, it'll be written into your contracts with the, between you and your client that if the problem happened on, on your end, then you will be responsible for it. Makes sense. So it could fall back to you. Um, and for the SaaS mm-hmm. companies who, so if you, you know, assuming that people have it in place, they have an established program, they've thought it through, they're working with enterprise client, you guys come in and you probably find some kind of flaws. You know, you guys do audits to help them improve it and become you know, more mm-hmm. liable and build more trust with their clients. What does an audit typically entail and, and typically look like for what are you guys finding there? Yeah, so we really do audits and look at companies that maybe had a really strong program in 2018 when the GDPR came about and there was a big focus on it. So people might have put a lot of effort into it at the time. But unless you're constantly keeping this up to date and you've got your records of processing, you've got your data flow maps and you've got all your documentation up to date, like unless there's somebody responsible for keeping that up to date, it tends to go stale quite quickly, especially in the startup phase. Obviously things happen a mile a minute and like you've got teams that change their direction. There's pivots happening and perhaps what was a reflection of the business back 18 months, two years ago, isn't really a reflection of the business now. So when we're doing audits, like, so the audits are either, they can be like company led where a founder says, okay, we need to look at this again. It could be from a catalyst like, okay, an enterprise client wants to see our documentation. We're not too sure if this is um, in a good space. We want to win this business or else it could be come from the investor point of view. So investors doing their due diligence, if they're working with a company who, sa- who says they're the revelation when it comes to data, et cetera, et cetera. The, the investors may want to do some due diligence. Okay, we'll audit their data privacy practices, see if they're, they're living up to what they've told us. But in general, when we go in to have a look, it's really that we're looking at what, what documentation's in place, what policies and procedures in place, and see if that's actually reflective of the business as it stands. And then we tend to, again, so coming from a compliance background, it's all about compliance and risk. So we'll be able to rate your risks on a scorecard and like identify what needs to be approached straight away versus something that can maybe we can work on in the medium to long term. 
Makes makes sense. And I see a lot more, you know, startups now. They're getting more comfortable. I think even the last over the last few years, letting other companies manage their data, right? Even whether they they think about it or not, right? You have companies like Facebook. They have their they're either managing their data, they're either processing their data by plugging into their tools, or they're hosting it uh, with companies like AWS and other uh, you know hosting platforms. What what are some changes or trends you've seen in and these in these past few years? And then where do you see the biggest changes going forward and how data is managed in say like the next three to five years? Yeah, I suppose it's a great time for a startup, like in this information age, that there's so many platforms there where you're able to like create an audience quite quickly and you've got like lots of data there. But as you mentioned, it can be managed by these third parties. In general, I suppose coming from a finance, again, I keep referring back to finance, but I suppose it's my background and it's an area that I'm very comfortable with. But that was, that's such an, an old industry and it took them a long time to actually loosen up and look at cloud and realize that cloud is probably even safer than like in-house servers and the likes of that. Mm. And there was really like, we were seeing all industries come online and come into the cloud. And then there was kind of, as the GDPR came alive and there was risks like exposed to businesses, okay, the GDPR has these massive fines of like potentially 4% of global turnover. Mm. People started seeing, okay, their data as a risk. So before it was like the more data, the better. You can't get enough of it. It's nothing but an asset. Now with obviously the GDPR and in the US, the CCPA, Data can be considered a risk as well. So the more data you hold, potentially the more risk you hold, like if people now can go down the line of class action lawsuits against companies who breach their data. So maybe holding those a million individuals' data, even though you're only interacting with a couple of thousand of them, maybe there's a time to look at that and kind of cull, cull the amount of data that you've actually got there. But I suppose in the next three to five years, um, I really do see that there will be some sort of localization of data. So what I mean by that is that I think within the EU, it's becoming quite clear that international transfers are becoming even more tricky. So the reason that... um, that companies would host, just say, in the US is probably cost-wise, whereas now there is requirements from especially enterprise clients that companies need to keep their data either within the country that they're operating, but at the very least within the EU because international transfers um, are getting quite quite difficult, especially since the recent Schrems decision. So I will, I do think that companies will be forced to kind of segregate their data and not have just a data lake, but maybe regional specific data. And that also the different privacy laws coming across the US. So the US is different to Europe. Europe has the GDPR, which had the, the goal of harmonizing data privacy and data protection laws across Europe to make it more fluid. Um, the, the transfer of data across kind of state lines within Europe. Mm. So I'm not sure how successful that's been because there's been different interpretations by supervisory authorities in each country, but at least we're all play, using the same playbook in terms of the GDPR. 
the US, there's a different situation altogether. There's no federal legislation. It's all being done state by state. Mm. So if you think about it, that's over 50 pieces of legislation that you might have to comply with. And how does that work in a practical point of view if they have different requirements between New York and Washington and California? So I do see may, there may be that issue of data being more housed more locally, maybe some anonymization techniques before the data moves to some sort of data lake. But I guess it's all, it depends what you're trying to do with the, with the data. Makes sense. And for, so for example, like, you know, 2020, we have, you know, COVID-19, you know, there's some talks of like insurance companies, for example, who are, who want to have access to your healthcare data to be able to, you know, see if you've gotten, you know, sick or or you've have some kind of, you know, other, uh, you know, underlying conditions that could affect your premiums. But, um, you know, speaking of that, what is the risk for more, for some of these more regulated businesses or that have more confidential data, right? You have the healthcare SaaS that manages patient data, or even at, in our business, right? At Horizon Capital, we manage confidential data of company financials, their team, all the above. Like what, what risks do you see there? Yes, so the GDPR and data privacy laws really put a higher standard on that type of data, on health-related data, on what we call special categories data. Mm. And I suppose in terms of a little bit of a history lesson, a lot of data protection and data privacy laws that we know today would have stemmed from Germany post-World War II, Mm. where the Nazis had actually like used public records to identify individuals and persecute on that basis. And if you like, so part of the definition of special category data in the GDPR includes membership of trade unions, it includes religion, uh, political affiliations and the likes of that. But obviously quite specific or quite relevant to those examples you gave was health related data. So a SaaS company that's dealing with health-related data is being held to a higher bar um, and a higher standard when it comes to protecting that data. So if you've got a set of standard security controls for just your data in general, you are expected to have higher higher security, um, better procedures, more informed and trained staff when it comes to that processing of health-related data. Also, you need to be super crystal clear on how you gather consent. So without getting too deep into the weeds here, uh, special category data, regular data under the GDPR needs a legal basis to process it. So those legal basis can be legitimate interests. So the legitimate interest of your business would cover a lot of analytics that you do with uh, with data contractual basis so if it's part of the fulfillment of a contract so hr data is nearly all contract based then if you need to process data in a certain way to fulfill your contract with your clients that's also covered um under contract then we've got different other different lawful basis like in the public interest we're seeing a lot of covid and contact tracing being done in the public interest but specifically, consent is also 
it gets a lot of the a lot of the publicity when it comes to data. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not the only legal basis, but for special categories data, you need one of those other lawful basis. Plus, you need the explicit consent of the individuals to process their data. Yeah. So, for the SaaS company, the SaaS company doesn't have to worry about the collection of consent because it will be the client who has the relationship with the individuals um, who's required to capture that consent. But the SaaS company who's processing that data on their behalf um, is required to have super tight security controls and any leak of that data or breach of that data will be held to a higher standard. And it's usually reportable straight away within 72 hours if you've got any sort of data breach. But I guess I kind of muddled it there. Like, So you do have the B2C SaaS and you've got the B2B SaaS. Um, if it's a B2C SaaS company um, in the health space, uh, the advice would really be to make sure that your consent is watertight, that you're very explicit and clear what the data will be used, how will it be used, where it's being stored, where it's being transferred. Um, yeah, just making sure that's super, super um super accurate and super up to date. Also, if you're a B2C SaaS company and you're engaging other SaaS companies for different parts of your business, you need to make sure that anyone that you're sharing that data with, whether it's a hosting provider, whether it's some sort of analytics, you need to make sure that any company which you're allowing access to that data, that they are completely legitimate, that they've got strong privacy and data protection programs. Because as we mentioned earlier, you'll be on the hook for it as the company that collected the data from the individual, even mm. if there's a breach um, down the line, it's your responsibility to to make sure that they, that data is protected. Now, you'd also want to check any sort of contract with these third parties because the extent of the liability for any breach will be covered in those contracts. So you want to make sure that you're, number one, contracting and dealing with legitimate companies that have strong data protection and data privacy programs, but also that your your, um, contracts in place with those assigns liability fairly, I guess, and make sure that there's no kind of blanket clauses that says, okay, we as a as a as a third party are not responsible for any sort of data breach because then you could be really leaving yourself exposed to uh, to big fines and big penalties got it got it and then uh, you know you talk about some of the we talk about ownership right the ownership of the data i believe you know we understand it's non-negotiable the customer owns the data at all times but there are companies processors or hosts that maybe take that data they leverage that data that they have and then they use it for their own kind of practice right so um, for example, you have Facebook, you have Google, you know, they've, they've been in trouble with the law recently. Uh, you see it all over the news. Um, and, you know, customers are using it. Is, is, it a, is it a common practice on the SM, SMB level for uh, data management in the SaaS industry? Do you see that where companies are, are leveraging the data they get and then uh, using it for, the, for, for their own kind of uh, <laughs> exploitation or growth? Yes. Yeah, so... I keep talking about the GDPR, but it really is the high watermark when it comes to data privacy laws across the globe. Mm-hmm. When I'm talking to clients and I'm working with clients, I'm like, okay, let's go for the highest onus and the highest standard. And then everything else will be easier to comply with. The GDPR has a principle of transparency. Mm-hmm. 
And that principle requires businesses to be transparent in the form of a privacy notice or notifications on how they use the biz- uh, they use data. If there's any subsequent use of that data that hasn't been notified to the individuals, then that's essentially illegal and mm-hmm. your company could be exposed for that use of data. There's also that principle that I was saying that you need a legal basis for processing that data. So as the SaaS company that's using the data that's being shared with them, then it's unlikely that you will have a legal basis to use that data. Has the person consented to it? No. If they don't know, do you have a legitimate interest that's aligned with the legitimate interests of the individual? Probably not if there's that disconnect in the relationship. So it's very unlikely that you'd have a legal basis to use that data. Plus, there's the data processing agreement, which, as I mentioned before, is required between the business, uh, between um, the controller and the processor. So your Mm. client and your SaaS business. And one of the clauses of that agreement that's mandated by the GDPR is that the processor or the SaaS company will only use the data on the direct um, instructions of the individual or of the um, of their client. Mm. So what that means is that data which is shared with you should only be used to deliver your services and not be used as in some sort of function to, um, for, so if you are using data that's coming into you, you need to be super crystal clear that individuals would either expect it to be used or for, uh, there'd be some sort of clause within your client's, um, data privacy notices that gives you an allowance to do this. And then you need to analyze your legal basis saying, okay, what's our legal basis for using this data? And yeah, just make sure that you have, that you meet all your requirements of your data processing contracts and your legal contracts. Because again, you could be found to be in breach of that agreement and open yourself up to liability. Got it. And then, you know, adding to that, you know, obviously machine learning is a big topic right now. A lot of SaaS companies are leveraging machine learning in their platforms, including Facebook, including Google. What if, you know, how how do you handle that when an autonomous system is making that decision regarding my personal information? Am I protected if 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 I say, look, it was the system, it wasn't me, or or how, how does how does how do you handle that situation where it's no longer human making that decision? Yes. So I know a lot of people like roll their eyes when they hear about data protection laws and the GDPR and the likes of that, especially if you're a founder and it just seems to be a roadblock that you're you're coming up against. But I suppose it comes from a good place. As I mentioned, it came from the protection of individuals and it's born out of the human right to privacy. And you've got that right to a private life and the right to protection of your data. For honest reasons and good reasons. So the GDPR, again, is the high watermark when it comes to global data privacy laws, actually calls out automated decision-making, really trying to foretell 
the, the use of autonomous systems and AI when it comes to actually making decisions that may affect and impact an individual's life, I guess. So written into the GDPR as part of those controls is the right for an individual to request human intervention if there's been an autonomous decision made. So we've seen that in the line of credit applications or even along the lines of some health-based um, health-based questionnaires or uh, programs which would either bar you from entering some sort of academy or some sort of uh, work situation based on a health-related um, assessment. So you do have that, you have the ability to request that where the decision has been made on autonomous means that there's human intervention. So maybe sure. you think that your your data wasn't read correctly and that maybe it was some sort of um, misinterpretation by the AI. So it does give you that allowance specifically mm. around the use of AI. And I suppose the... The, the requirement is that it has an impact on your life. So not every piece of AI that has to assess a company, uh, a person's suitability will be, will be open to this right, but the ones that really may inf- impact somebody's uh, life. So around uh, yeah, purchasing property or maybe jobs and the likes of that mm. is open to, uh, open to that right. Got it. Got it. And then if we're speaking about at an international level, right, you have you compare the GDPR with uh, I know you mentioned the U.S. having something, but, you know, Canada, U.S. and then specifically the U.K. after Brexit. What's the situation when, you know, I as an entrepreneur or founder deal with the personal data from those different countries? How How am I managing that from an international level? Yeah, so. Within Europe, you're lucky enough that the flow of data into Europe is less problematic than the flow of data out of Europe. So if you're a company within the EU who's transferring data to the US, to Canada, and now UK after Brexit, you have to meet these requirements for international transfers. And there was a decision recently called Schrems 2. I'm sure if your company, if your listeners have clients, um, and if you are relying on Privacy Shield for your international transfer of data, then you will um, you will definitely be aware of Schrems 2. Essentially, what Schrems 2 did was it invalidated Privacy Shield. So, just a bit of background. Pri- Okay, I just thought I could jump straight into Privacy Shield. So some deep background is that for an international transfer to take place under the GDPR and even the Data um, Protection Act before that, the the country where the data is being transferred to had to be deemed an equivalent jurisdiction by the European Commission. So Canada have that for B2B relationships. The US used to have... Um, have a certification mechanism called Privacy Shield, which if a company made this, got this certification, then they could allow the transfers of data between the EU and the US. But this activist, Max Schrems, challenged that in the European courts and have it overridden because he claimed that the US didn't provide the same level of, of protection to data that the, U, that the EU did. Mm. 
And I was basically, it was very much centered around the use of uh, foreign intelligent um, agency practices. So I, I can't remember what the acronym stands for now, but it's called FISA and it allows the the security services over in the US to look at companies' data centers, look through it, to look through communications and the likes of that. And that was seen as not being in line with EU privacy um, practices. Mm-hmm. So that was overturned. There's going to be big problems. So those com- countries that we just mentioned are part of the Five Eyes initiative, which is like a global security initiative. You've got mm-hmm. Canada, you've got the US, the UK. Mm-hmm. which all do allow those kind of interference, not interferences, so, but it does uh, give the authorities those powers to kind of supersede data privacy and data protection laws and like monitor individuals. So there is going to be real problems with the UK once they leave the EU. And we're currently seeing that, okay, if you've been currently using Privacy Shield, people are jumping on to standard contractual clauses as a mechanism to transfer data internationally. Again, that will be up for review because can you guarantee that the data being shared with the US, with Canada, won't come under the scrutiny of local authorities. And that's why I mentioned and why I feel that in the coming years that there will be this localization of data just to the storage of data will be done more locally as it costs less to actually store and host data. We'll see probably data warehouses being sprung up like within each country to avoid these international transfers and avoid the different laws and the problems that I may encounter by transferring data across um, state or country lines. Got it. Got it. And, and kind of final question here. As a SaaS entrepreneur, we're trying to obviously manage risk here, right? That's the big thing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you have clients, you have your, your customers, you have the enterprise and obviously your own business to run. If I get hacked, at the end of the day, who is responsible in that case? If, if I, you know, I'm, I'm GDPR compliance and then I get hacked, somebody uses my data and steals the data and, and uses it, who, who is liable there? Yeah, so you have to remember, if you get hacked, you're the victim of a crime. Do you know what I mean? Like a bank gets robbed, somebody comes in and holds up your staff at gunpoint. You're the victim in this situation. And just like a hack, you are the victim. But what will happen is you'll be assessed to see if you've got the appropriate level of security controls in place. So you do have a responsibility to actually have not only minimum standards, but have standards suitable to your business. So if you're just a startup SaaS company with zero budget, having like off the shelf kind of packaged um, security features is completely acceptable. If you're like a multi-billion dollar company with uh, all sorts of special category data, you're expected to have higher level and put more effort into securing um, that data. So if there is, if you have been hacked or there has been a data breach, obviously there's that requirement to report to authorities and that's another aspect of the GDPR that you're actually required to report these breaches mm. 
to your supervisory authority. It's a legal imperative and you've got 72 hours to do so. So got it's it. not like the you saw Ticketmaster sitting on data breaches, Uber sitting on data breaches. That that doesn't happen anymore because you'll end up paying those high, high levels of fines under the GDPR. Mm. But when that does happen, so you have to report the breach and the authorities will be asking you for details of how you got hacked, what happened, what were what vulnerabilities were exposed, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and they'll make an assessment to say, okay, for the level of business, the amount of revenue, for mm. the types of data that this company is processing, was their security features, was their data privacy features up to scratch. And it'll be really done on a case-to-case basis, but it'll really look at your your whole situation. Makes sense. And is there any uh, free or low-cost tools or resources that you like to use or recommend to SaaS founders to maybe include in their in their tech stack that might be helpful to them that they can start using today? Uh, whether it's privacy related, whether it's you know uh, sh- confidential, you know things like LastPass, I really like. Or is there anything else you you like using? Yeah, LastPass, it's been a revelation for myself, really. It took a little bit of time to get into the flow of actually using it, but now I wouldn't survive without it because it has all my passwords there. LastPass is a really good um, good tool. You've got a lot of 2FA, so two-factor authentic- authentication apps and programs out there, some of them offering uh, freemiums. So mm. basically 2FA means that not only will you have to give your password, you may get a text or some sort of notification to your phone. Mm. <clears throat> Excuse me. To your phone where you have to um, add this other level of authentication. Um, specifically, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of, um, there's a big gap there when it comes to actually training your staff. So there's a company called Wiser who are doing really good free kind of data protection, data privacy training, and it's super kind of lightweight. So we found that with clients that just keeping the message fresh with their employees is a really useful um, way to ensure that you don't have a breach or a hack and that there's no social engineering and phishing happening because I think, I can't remember the most up-to-date stats, but like 65% of, um, of data breaches are coming through human error or social engineering. So it's not the kind of uh, really sophisticated hacks and the likes of that. It's usually people either making human mistakes or opening zip files and these kind of basics. So kind of keeping the training up to date and fresh is also uh, very important. And there's lots of good material out there. Cool, cool. Awesome. I appreciate that. Um, so thanks, Tom, for, for joining us on, on SAS District. Where can our audience get in touch with you and learn more about what you're working on and, and if they want to learn more about uh, you know, getting GDPR compliant programs set up? Sure. Uh, so if you go to apexprivacy.com or email myself, tom at apexprivacy.com. Mm-hmm. And also we have a podcast called the Data Privacy Podcast. Mm-hmm. And that's available through the website, dataprivacypod.com and on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. So we do touch on specific um, 
specific compliance matters when it comes to GDPR. So kind of a la carte, if your listeners have an issue, if they want to know about international transfers, we've got an episode on international transfers. If they want to know about the data protection officer um, and the role of the data protection officer, we've got an episode on that as well. So yeah, either Apex Privacy or the Data Privacy Pod. Awesome. Appreciate it, Tom. Thanks for jumping on and uh, we appreciate it. Cheers, Akil. Thanks very much for having me. Take care. Cheers. Bye-bye. Thank you all for listening in to this episode and joining SAS District today. Don't forget to leave a review and subscribe for future episodes where we interview top leaders in the SaaS industry. If you're a SaaS company looking to grow and unlock the true value of your business, get in touch with us at horizoncapital.com. And myself or one of our consultants will provide a free assessment to help you get there and hit your goals. If you have any feedback or suggestions for this podcast, please DM us on Instagram or LinkedIn at Horizon Capital and help us improve our content for you all. Thanks again and hope to see you on the next one.